the podcast where we talk about women who have been underrepresented or written out of Irish history. I am Maria Butler. I'm excited to come back for the second season. Since the last season, I have started a PhD, so my life is a little bit different to where it was during lockdown, and now we're in a new lockdown. So some things have changed and other things haven't. Shauna has also gone back to college this year so unfortunately she's not able to do this season with us. Luckily I have loads of amazing guests who are going to step into her shoes on an episode by episode basis. So this week I have my very old friend and talented writer Mairead Kiernan here to join us. Hi thank you so much for having me. I miss Shauna already. I miss her voice. I don't think I'll be able to do justice to it in the same way, but I'm happy to be here. And you have a great episode to be here for because this is a story that has been dancing around in my head since about January. And I've been trying to figure out a way to do it justice. So you heard the first course, I think, of a song. Michael Cleary's wife just before the podcast started by the wonderful Maya Sophia who gave us permission to use her song so thank you for that and that is how I first heard about Bridget Cleary and in March 1895 Bridget was burnt to death by her husband in front of relatives because Michael in particular but all of them to a certain extent assumed that she was a fairy changeling Right. Yeah. So it's a story that took Ireland and England certainly by storm at the time and was used as an example of how backward the Irish were in a lot of ways. Okay, so if you're saying it took Ireland and England by storm, I think most people listening are kind of familiar with the folklore surrounding the changeling, you know, that there's kind of a spirit that is coming to someone's body and, and taking them over. Was this case exceptional? Were there other cases like it? So it wasn't uncommon in Ireland that somebody would be killed, I guess, as a changeling. I have a couple of examples here from the 19th century as well. There was a story of a woman in 1828 who was indicted for murder of a child by drowning him to put the fairy out of it. Now, she was found not guilty in the end. And then I found another story of a child who was roasted to death by his father, who thought he was a fairy, but the father wasn't brought to trial for reasons of insanity. Makes sense. Both of these examples are in Angela Burke's book, The Burning of Bridget Cleary, which is what I've used as my main source of information for most of this. Now, as I said, I've been obsessed with this story for a while, so there's a lot of other things feeding into it, but... Angela Burke is our main text for this. Most of the accused in these cases of like fairy burnings were elderly women. 
and the children killed or injured were usually severely disabled which doesn't excuse it but does kind of give an explanation as to like what was going on I'll feed more into the idea of fairies and the type of people that fairies used to go after in a second among all of the documented cases of changeling burning in the 19th century in Ireland though Bridget Cleary is the only one with an adult victim so although it's not unheard of for these things to happen it's also never happened in this particular way in a documented manner anyway up until this point according to irish folklore fairies are not the cute little tinkerbells that disney has presented us with fairies are far more insidious and malevolent so a quote from angela burke's book is fairies are not human but they resemble humans and live lives parallel to theirs with some significant differences they keep cows and sell them at fairs they enjoy whiskey and music they like gold, milk and tobacco, but hate iron, fire salt and the Christian religion. And any combination of these mainstays of Irish rural cu culture serves to guard against them. Sometimes it is said that there are no women among the fairies. In any case, they steal children and young women and occasionally young men and leave withered cantankerous changelings in their place. They can bring disease on crops, animals and humans. But by and large, if treated with neighbourly consideration, they mind their own business and even reward favours. It was kind of interesting when I was reading about all this fairy stuff. Have you heard the phrase away with the fairy? Obviously you've heard the phrase away with the fairies. Yeah. Did you know that that actually came from because people thought that people who maybe didn't have the same mental fortitude, is that a way of saying it, of other people, like it was because they were taken away by the fairies and that's what kind of changed their minds a bit? I didn't know that, but that does make sense. Yeah, and children who were epileptic, again assumed to be a fairy changeling people who would have suffered from depression basically it was just a way of talking about anybody who wasn't physically and mentally sound so i know that this is a real thing that people believed in to me it kind of brings to mind elements of like conspiracy theories i guess of like trying to draw together a narrative to make sense of things that don't make sense you know of explaining why a child can't walk at a time when medical knowledge, especially in Ireland, was pretty limited. You know, people who didn't have a lot of education, let alone medical education, could not explain why their child or the person in their life was doing things that didn't make sense. Oh, no, absolutely. And a lot of the people who are big players in the story of Bridget Cleary, like they couldn't read. Yeah. You know, this was a rural community. It's absolutely a way of dealing with, you know, the unknown but there is, there's a lot of that still remaining. Like people are still very superstitious about disrupting fairy rings, you know. There's one in my dad's in Granard. I can't even remember where it is, but like it's a farm where they disrupted the fairy circle. And apparently there was very bad luck on that family afterwards. And I'm talking recently, like this isn't like a hundred years ago. And again, I think, I mean, may, it's just a cynic in me, but it kind of seems like it's just trying to make give a reason for a family having very bad luck right I wouldn't walk through a fairy forest you wouldn't walk through it yeah but aren't you allowed to walk through it I thought it was just like moving the stones I don't I wouldn't take the risk I don't know what happened <laughs> <laughs> no it's true it's true they're fairies they're fairies yeah no no best day away like genuinely but like I also feel like really bad for security people in airports because they have to open so many umbrellas <laughs> 
Oh, I know. I feel so terrible for that. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, I was on an artist retreat in Monaghan last week and in Anna McCarrick, and it's in this lovely big old house. But, like, come nine o'clock, and it's so spooky, you know? And we're all, like, joking about it during the day. Like, oh, well, you know, there's the witch and there's the ghost. We're like, ha, ha, ha. Come 10 o'clock, and I hear one squeak from the pipes, and I, like, bolt upright. Okay, the devil has come for me. This is what this is. Like, it's ridiculous. This is the thing. So, like, we can't judge these people too much because we're far more educated and have far more access to science. And, like, I told you that I had to sleep with the light on for two nights in Valencia last month because on Valencia Island, because I was staying in a really old house and it was dark and I was afraid of ghosts or murders. Yeah. And again, it is that linking together of things because sometimes when you hear noises that just don't make sense. I've imagined, I'm going to sound crazy, but I've imagined entire scenarios. Like in my parents' eyes, I thought someone was breaking in. And I was like, yup, they've broken in. They're stealing all the furniture. And there were three other people in the house, my brother and my parents. So it was one of them. Anyways, back to your story. Yes, back to changelings. A suspected changeling is supposed to be treated with respect because if there's a changeling in my place and they treat my changeling badly, then I could potentially be treated really badly as well. Okay. So threatening a changeling with fire is supposed to banish a changeling for good and return the human back again. This is very important in terms of the story of Bridget Cleary. Yeah. I'm going to go back and just talk a little bit more about Bridget now that we have the background about kind of fairies and changelings. Bridget Cleary was born as Bridget Boland in Ballybadia near Fettered in Tipperary in 1867, approximately. She seems to have been the youngest child and was likely educated in the nearby Mercy Convent, although like literacy wouldn't have been a big thing in that time, as I mentioned previously. On the surface, Bridget had it all. She was attractive. She could more than likely read and write. And her parents sent her to Clamel to learn a trade. So she was a milliner and a seamstress, which allowed her to live somewhat comfortably for the time. She also kept hens, which was a second source of income. Now, interestingly, apparently keeping poultry was a sign that a woman was not under a man slash her husband's control at the time. So she was your independent fashionable woman of the day okay love it and back in these days traveling even as far as Clamel would have been traveling she was more worldly than a lot of the other people in her local surroundings as well also at the time of her death she had a singer sewing machine in her bedroom wow that is impressive I mean she definitely from the little I know of that period like she sounds like she had a lot of independence yeah and that could be part of her downfall us Irish we can be a begrudging lot sometimes never not us no (laughs) I love it when people get above their station (laughs) yeah exactly please surpass me surpass me so while she was in Clonmel she met Michael Cleary who was a cooper do you know what a cooper is no they make barrels and wooden round things nice great great definition there I know (laughs) (laughs) no not you just a trade I mean like it's it's a real job it's very important it's just um you know it's not a job you hear of anymore true but it actually allowed them to live like somewhat comfortably because again they would have been from a background of farm laborers these would have been like not that long after the famine you know people were not living in the lap of luxury 
Yeah. So by the two of them having trade, they were doing relatively okay. So again, he was more worldly than a lot of the other people that we're going to encounter. He was also educated and he was also able to read and write. And again, would have been considered somewhat traveled, having lived in Clamel for a number of years. So he was nine, eight or nine years older than Bridget. And they were married about five or six years by the time that this all unfolded. So Bridget was 26 when she died. So she would have gotten married when she was around 20 or 21. She was very young to get married by the standards at the time, interestingly. Really? Because I always would have thought that like people would have gotten married very young, but apparently not. Well, I have heard that Ireland actually had a higher, the age for women getting married in the past has always been higher than the European average. So even though it's younger than today, I don't think it's quite as young as people imagined it to be. That is cool. That is interesting. So she was 21 getting married. So an old spinster. Yeah. Approximately. That's it. Basically dead. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. They didn't live together for the first few years that they were married. Michael Cleary stayed in Clamel, where he did his coopering. And Bridget Cleary went back and lived with her parents. So this caused a lot of gossip amongst the locals because they were suggesting that maybe Michael was was putting things in places where he shouldn't be. Well, yeah, you would wonder. Were there any children? No. This is another kind of pertinent fact in the case is that they were childless. And guess what sometimes caused women to be infertile, according to local folk traditions? I don't know what. Being taken by the fairies. Oh, gosh, those fairies. I'm telling you, responsible for everything. So as I mentioned, she was a good looking woman. There were rumours that she was having an affair with her neighbour, Michael Simpson, who was more moneyed than herself and Michael Cleary were, but he was married. They're unsubstantiated, but it's just kind of a by the by. So by all accounts, like it's it's interesting because like a lot of, the local knowledge at the time would have put them as a happy couple but already you've got rumors of affairs on both sides you've got them not living together for a number of years no children and obviously she gets murdered by her husband so there's there's that aspect of it as well yeah and sometimes when people kind of say a happy couple often they actually kind of refer more to like a class kind of a thing of like oh well they seem perfectly upright and perfectly upstanding and if they were educated at the time and kind of well to do then that probably made up for a lot that's it at the time of her death herself Michael Cleary her father Patrick Boland were all living in a new laborer's cottage in Ballywadia And the mother is dead at this stage. So it's just the three of them living together. And apparently the house in Ballyvedia was built on. Oh, a fairy, fairy little, (laughs) little fairy thing. (laughs) Little fairy fort. A rat. Yeah, fairy fort. All right. Okay. And there seems to be that maybe that's why they got the house, because people weren't willing to live there because it was built on the fairy fort, which makes sense. I'm also not sure if it was built like directly on top of a fairy fort or if it was just in the mystical 
mystical parts of a fairyland. So that's the background of Bridget and Michael, or Bridgie and Mike as they called each other. Ha ha. Love that. So cute. Bridgie and Mike. Also, actually, there's a dramatic recreation of this story. If anybody wants to check it out on Amazon, it's on the TV show Lore. It's called Black Stockings. There are some amazing Irish accents in that. Oh, really? Is it by Americans? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know it is. <laughs> Class. I think some of the actors are actually Irish, but you know that thing where they have Irish actors like being real Irish? Yeah, Irish accents can sound fake. Like, it sounds stupid, but like... I don't know if it's that they put them on more. Sometimes they just stand out funny. Yeah, so if you want to check that out, you'll get loads of bridges and mics there. Oh, great. I will. Yeah. Right, so this brings us up to March 1895. Bridget, in part of her job as provider of eggs to the locality, she went out to give, either to give eggs or to like collect money from this guy called Jack Dunn. So Jack Dunn's like a neighbour. He's possibly related. Everybody in this story seems to be related to each other. I never wrote down a graph so I can't map it out fully. He's also like a local fairy knowledge man. Okay. That's the words that I'm going to use in relation to that. He knows a lot about superstitions. I mean, I know what you mean though. Yeah, I get I get it, yeah. Cool. So she goes out to meet him near the local fairy fort. He doesn't show up. She, when she comes back, she's after catching a cold. She's absolutely delirious. Doesn't really recognize her father and her husband. And she's sent to bed with a fever. The doctor was called to come and see her. He just doesn't turn up. So also when I say called to see her, this isn't like nowadays where you can just ring a, ring a doctor. Like they had to walk to Feathered to ask the doctor to come call. He just doesn't turn up for days. In the meantime, Jack Dunn, our lovely fella who stood Bridget up and made her sick in the first place, he suggests that Bridget is not Bridget. She's a fairy changeling. He suggests they need to forget about going to see a doctor at all and they need to see a fairy doctor to get cures to replace the fairy changeling Bridget with the actual Bridget. Okay, how, how sick is she at this point? Like what's what's her what's her deal? So she's like fevered and unwell and she's in bed and I do get an official diagnosis in a minute, but like Yeah. I'm not really sure because you know in Sense and Sensibility where she goes out and cat where Marianne goes out and gets wet and catches cold and they basically think she's gonna die for like a week. Yeah. Like, I never tell with olden day diseases. How sick are they? Yeah. In a lot of... It's even Pride and Prejudice. The sister also got sick at that one, like, going for a walk. Young, healthy woman, like, went for a walk, got caught in the rain, and was in bed for two months. So that's it. Like, so I'll tell you the diagnosis there in a second. But in a nutshell, like, she's pretty sick. She's not able really to get out of bed. But, like, I don't know in modern terms how well that is okay yeah that's fine while all this is going on 
Michael starts to get it into his head as a result, I would say mainly of Jack Dunn, that Bridget's a fairy changeling. He's reported as saying, that woman is not my wife. She is too fine to be my wife. She was two inches taller than Bridgie. Eventually, after three summons to come to her and considerable canvassing by Michael Cleary, the doctor arrived. By this stage, it was a week since she'd caught a chill. So she's been, she's been in bed sick for a week. And when I'm saying about the considerable canvassing as well, like he's having to walk to Feathered every time to get the doctor and back again. So in his defence at the moment, he is pretty wrecked. He's been doing a lot of walking around. And he also seems to think that his wife is a fairy changeling. So... She'd been seeing the doctor for approximately eight years. At this stage, for a nervous complaint, which some commentators think might have been TB, although her lungs seemed relatively okay in her autopsy. And in court, the doctor said, she'd been attending me for the last eight or nine years and I always found her a nervous, irritable sort of woman, which I just found kind of interesting. I know, what a way to describe someone. It's not very nice about someone who's died either. Yeah, but this is kind of where I'm already kind of starting to build up the picture a little bit of why it's possible that people might have considered that Bridget was replaced by a changeling. Because if she's seeing a doctor for eight or nine years over some sort of nervous complaint, like it could be TB, that's what the rumours in the locality are. It could be something more anxiety driven like I don't know but like there's something there that something's not right but then if she's had it for years surely that more begs up that it's not a changeling right that it's like it's a long-standing condition or something that she has had presumably for the duration of their marriage oh great wait until you see (laughs) it's almost like there's a flaw in this you know it's almost like she's probably not a fairy do you know what though like and we can talk about this more at the end I am so conflicted about this because I came into this story of like this is a horrible inexcusable crime that happened relatively recently in Irish society that absolutely the idea of her being a fairy changeling was just a way to cover up the fact that this murder was committed And that could still be the case. But the more I kind of read into it, the more I ended up feeling kind of sorry for everybody involved. That, like, there is a possibility that they genuinely believe that she was a changeling. Yeah. And it's very easy for us in the modern context to look at people who are behaving that way and being like, that's ridiculous. But, like, we're 130 odd years later, 20, 30 years later, like, it's very difficult to tell. It absolutely is. And I mean, you have to look at a lot of the religious habits that we all have in the world today. And again, I'm not poking fun at them at all. I'm just likening them that like a lot of these things can look quite odd when they're out of their context and you're not in the time, you know. But I told you about a story of a girl who had um, was supposed to have an exorcism or she was supposed to be possessed and she eventually, this is also a very nasty story, but I think, I think basically she was having a load of fits and she eventually died of malnourishment because her family couldn't care for her. 
and that was in the 70s like that wasn't long ago so it is the same kind of thing and I, I think her I believe her family genuinely believed it yeah it's it's nuts like and again going back to what you were kind of saying about like it's crazy what the human mind would believe in absence of other kind of facts now that being said I'm still not going to try and mock any ghosts and I will never do a Ouija board because I am not willing to take that risk I respect that I've already done a Ouija board so I'm cursed maybe you shouldn't even have me on this I was like I'm not even joking when you said that I've already done a Ouija board like I genuinely got a, a shock going through my system there like we can't be friends <laughs> Oh, I should have disclosed this up front, I suppose, when we met. Oh, you hadn't done a Ouija board by the time we met, surely. No, no, I hadn't actually. No, no, it was like, I was 15 or 16, yeah. But I don't think it was real, if it helps. It was made out of a toilet seat cover, like a wooden toilet seat cover. It it doesn't matter. So for everybody who's listening, myself and Mairead have known each other for so long that we don't actually know how we know each other. We think it might have been from stage school, which is a whole different story. I think we're like the Cleary family though like we're just from small town Ireland where you know everyone knows everyone everyone's probably related. True kick any slightly bigger than the Valley Padilla but. Likely. Slightly. Uh, We do have our own burning though Petronella discussed last season. (laughs) We do we do yeah we've burnt many women you know. Just just one to my knowledge. Many women, Maria. Many, many women. No, I have no idea. I mean, I haven't checked the stats. Who's looked that up? Do you know, I do like the symmetry of like this episode, this season versus last season, because my first episode last season was Petronella, who was, I think, the first woman to be burned for witchcraft in Europe. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Bridget Cleary is considered by many to be the last woman burned for witchcraft in Europe, even though she wasn't a witch. She was a fairy. Well, even though she wasn't allegedly a witch, she was allegedly a fairy. <laughs> Thank you for the distinction. I mean, you do. I don't know what your thing is with like all these burnt women, <laughs> but but it's full circle. It's full circle. I get you. It's full circle, and also I just think that like these are like really horrific things that happen to people for insane reasons that like just kind of get buried under everything else that happens in history yeah and they do they tell us something about history and about the beliefs of the time and about the treatment of women at the time Mm -hmm. absolutely so like there was a bit there was a, a section that I read which was that like women who were beaten by their husbands at the time would say that it was as a result of the fairies yeah so it, it there, there's like a lot of violence towards women that's been covered up by like folklore and superstition and even though people know what's really going on like it's much easier to bury your head in the sand or the fairy for it yeah and even some of the things we say like the devil drink you know what I mean it's kind of like giving it this otherworldly power as though like you know oh, I, I couldn't help it you know devil a drink was in me Mm-hmm. and that's it and then for it to go so far as this and like yeah let's continue <laughs> anyway so the doctor finally arrives after a week 
he was drunk for his examination of Bridget which wasn't mentioned in the court records or like wasn't mentioned in the trials but he did actually get fired from his doctor job a few months later I think as a result of being drunk so there is a record that like he had a an issue with drink while he was allegedly helping people so he said she was suffering from nerves and light bronchitis so there's your diagnosis Mairead okay he prescribed a medicine and suggested she'd be fine once she took that with the doctor we've already got he's a week late they've taken maybe not a week I think it took him like five days after he was first called to arrive maybe a little bit less but they've been trying to get him for ages he finally turns up is kind of dismissive and is drunk are you going to pay that much attention to him no like not really on the same morning as her visit from the doctor so this is wednesday the 13th of march on the same morning as her visit from the doctor bridget was visited by her aunt mary kennedy um, Bridget told Mary how miserable she was with the pain in her temples. And this is a direct quote from the records around, around it. I'm very bad. He's making a fairy of me now and an emergency. He thought to burn me about three months ago, but if I had my mother, I would not be this way. Remember when I was saying to you about like kind of building the case of how she hadn't been well for a while and you were saying that maybe she'd always been that way? Or sorry, you were saying maybe that would indicate that she wasn't a fairy. This doesn't seem to be the first time that Michael Cleary thought she was a fairy. Mm -hmm. That was the one that gave me a lot of question around the, is this just an excuse for him to get rid of his wife? Because if if every time there's something off with her, maybe that's his, his pattern of, she's a witch, a fairy even. It might be. I mean, you know more than I do at this case. So I'm going to wait to reserve. I'm going to reserve my judgment for now. Okay. So as I had mentioned, Bridget's mother was dead and she was also credited with knowledge of fairies and herbs, which is some of the reason why Bridget was considered to be, have gone off with the fairies because like mother, like daughter, essentially. Mary reassured Bridget and then sent Bridget's cousin, Joanna, to help clean and nurse Bridget. So Joanna was like a little bit older than Bridget, but not by a huge amount. And she was become a star witness in the case of Bridget Cleary. I don't like Joanna Burke. Really? No. I just don't trust her, to be honest. So, like, she recanted, she changed her story very quickly when it became evident that they were all going to get into trouble for this. And then kind of was, like, the main witness. And, uh, yeah, I just don't know how much I trust everything that comes out of her mouth, to be honest. That's fair, but to play devil's advocate with the little information that I have, if she was under pressure, like, to testify, it sounds like there were a lot of men in the community that were kind of facing severe repercussions for what happened, and I'm sure she felt considerable pressure. True, and not just the community, her family, and not just men, also her mother. Well then, yeah. That's, I mean, that's pretty powerful, especially like we said, for, for a woman, you know, re- probably relies on the men in her family and by and large her community to support her. Mm-hmm. And she did also have an eight month baby at the time. Eight week old, eight week old baby at the time. Eight week, eight month, baby's a baby. She's got a baby. It was 
It was small. It was a small baby. <laughs> there does seem to be evidence that Joanna was jealous of Bridget, though. So that's kind of part of it as well, because Joanna wouldn't necessarily have been as well to do as Bridget would have been. So that's also why I'm kind of not fully trusting of all of her testimony. Okay. Michael Cleary had like a three-pronged attack to Bridget's unwellness, illness. He had the doctor. He had the fairy doctor, but he did also bring the church in as well. Same day, everything was happening on the 13th. She was also visited by the local priest, Father Ryan, who thought Mrs. Cleary was suffering from the beginning of mental derangement, although her conversation was quite coherent and intelligible. I think his exact words mentioned hysteria. Because, you know, us women, we were likely to be hysterical in the 19th century in particular. Well, we had good reason to be, I'm sure. Our wombs were travelling where they weren't supposed to travel. (laughs) He didn't think that she was seriously ill, but he administered the last rites just in case. When Michael Cleary found out that Bridget had the last rites administered to her, he got a bit spooked. As he would. If I found out that somebody administered the last rites to somebody, I'd be like, okay, shit, that person's real sick. Yeah, but is it kind of like the doctor, like, taking a long time to get there? Like, for the priest, maybe it's more, well, just in case she gets worse, it could take me days to get back if she actually becomes grievously ill. So his idea was not necessarily the, like, it'll take me days, but yeah, in case she gets, like, a brain fever or something like that, just in case, I'll give her the last rites. Yeah. But at the same time, you're kind of like, you've got this stage now where the doctors failed them, the churches failed them. So now you have fairy magic left. Yeah. I, I'm with them. I'm like, okay, I'm on the journey. <laughs> you look so convinced. <laughs> no, I'm trying to um I'm trying to be fair. Trying to be fair. I'm I'm with our, our Michael. So when Michael came back, he had prescribed medicine and he also had herbs from a woman in Fethard. So with the assistance of Jack Dunn, who I also really don't like, they administered the herbs. It doesn't seem to have been a pleasant time. Bridget was reported as like very red and sweating afterwards. Now that also could have been just because she was sick. But like some of the fairy herb cures weren't too nice. I think like some of them was like foxglove and stuff. So there was like a mild like poisoning people just a little bit with some of these. Thursday. Michael Cleary is exhausted. Bridget is very sick in bed. And word comes from where Michael Cleary's from which is about a two-hour walk can't remember what it's called that his father's after dying it's apparently a thing with fairy changelings where I don't know is it like the fairies kill off family members or people that are close to the like person who's been replaced by the changeling to like distract the family okay so that the changeling gets to stay in space for long enough that they then just like take over that person because apparently there's a thing as well where there's like a time limit in how much time you have to save somebody from a fairy changeling a few family members come to Bridget's house to see if Michael was going to walk the few hours to his father's wake and he reportedly said not yet he claimed and this is a direct quote his wife was better that he was after giving her herbs he had got from Ganey over the mountain and they'd done her good. He said he suffered so much about his wife, he would suffer more. Ganey was like the local witch doctor over in Fetters. 
So after he said this, at some stage he locked the door to the house. By now, so there were nine other people in the house and Bridget. And do you remember I was telling you about Mr. Simpson, mm-hmm. the neighbour? He came to check on Bridget along with his wife and Joanna Brick, cousin and star whip. They report that the door was locked, but they could hear men inside forcing Bridget to take the mixture of herbs. They reported overhearing a man's voice saying, take that, you rap. And they knocked on the door, but Michael Cleary said that no one could come in yet. Then they reported hearing, take that, you old bitch, or I'll kill you. Now, Angela Burke points out that it could be you old witch or you old bitch. After a few minutes of them hearing all this commotion going on inside, the door opened and Simpson, William Simpson, I think I called him Michael Simpson earlier, William Simpson heard, away she go, away she go. So the door was open to let the fairies out. When the Simpsons and Joanna went into the house, they saw Bridget was being pinned down by four men onto the bed. I think one had one each of her arms. I think somebody had her ears. And then I think somebody was lying across her legs. And they're very specific in saying legs. So, like, it wasn't anything sexual, allegedly. While she was being pinned down, her husband, Michael, was trying to feed her this concoction with a spoon. Bridget was trying not to take it. She said it was too bitter. When Cleary put the milk into the mouth, he put his hand on her mouth to prevent the medicine coming up. He said if it went on the ground that she could not be brought back from the fairies. Cleary asked her, was she Bridget Cleary or Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God? He asked her more than once. She answered three times before he was satisfied. Three is a magic number in fairy stuff. So there's a lot of it's important that things get said three times and things get answered three times and everything to prove that she's not a fairy. So. Then it starts to get really pleasant. Genuine warning, this is quite unpleasant. So I apologise if anybody doesn't want to listen to it. Skip forward for a minute or so. This is the third dose they've given Bridget of this concoction that day. There was a red mark on her forehead from where a hot poker had been brandished in her face to make sure that she took it the first time. While all this was going on, urine was thrown on her at least four times. After she took the concoction of herbs and milk for the third time, a man on either side of the bed lifted her and shook her backwards and forwards. Throughout all of this, they continued to ask her if she was Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God. And I think at another stage, they were like, be gone, fairy, we want Bridget Boland back or something. Like there was this whole kind of almost exorcist ritual going on in the house. But apparently this wasn't good enough. Apparently she wasn't answering forcefully enough. Because in fairness, she was like legitimately being tortured by all of the men in her family. But remember, I mentioned that fire was one of the sure ways to get rid of a changeling. The next thing, our friend Jack Dunn suggests Make a good fire and we will make her answer. Bridget was lifted by the men and carried to the grate where a low fire was smouldering. On the way, she was heard to say not to make a pairing of her and to give her a chance. So she seems to have been like somewhat cognizant as to what was going on. 
at this stage she didn't scream and gave no evidence of being in pain I think previously with everything else going on like she'd been reacting in the way that you'd react if you were having piss thrown on you and being shaken around and pokers brandished in your face apparently if these questions weren't answered correctly by Bridget before midnight she'd have been lost forever and this is now half 11. Once again she was asked if she was Bridget Boland answered she was the right amount of times this time and everyone was happy Bridget had been saved she wasn't a changeling. She got brought back to bed the women who were there so Joanna Burke and her auntie Mary Kennedy they like changed her clothes they put her back into a clean bed some of the other relatives leave the house to continue on to go to Michael's dad's funeral. He decides to stay, but he tells everybody to pass on that he has his wife back from the fairies. As far as everybody's concerned, Bridget's not a fairy changeling anymore. And that's the end of the story. Oh, lovely. Yes. Until the next day <laughs> where it picks back up again. So the next day, Bridget seemed much better. Father Ryan came in and gave mass in her room. I think this is why I don't like Joanna Burke. I've decided that Joanna Burke is partially at fault for this. This is only my decision. Because everybody seemed happy that Bridget was fine. And then when the priest comes and gives mass in the room, Joanna Burke is in Bridget's house cleaning up or doing something. And she claimed that she saw that Bridget took her communion out of her mouth and rubbed it on the blanket. And fairies don't like God. So that's kind of a sign that something's not right. Also... She claimed, so for part of the ritual, Joanna had to bring a special kind of milk that was used in fairy magic to the house. She was paid a silver coin for this, which was way more than the milk was worth, but it was apparently some sort of symbolic thing because it was fairy magic. They needed a silver coin to pay for it. Bridget went to pay her the silver coin, but she rubbed it on her thigh before she gave it to Bridget which according to Angela Burke is the equivalent of us like blessing ourselves it's just a thing to get rid of the magic or whatever this is kind of Joanna Burke starting to indicate to people around her that maybe Bridget isn't Bridget and maybe Bridget is still the changeling loads of visitors come to visit because the Cleary's house just seems to constantly have people in it which would drive me demented but they seem happy with it. So there's like tension between Bridget and Michael because he essentially tortured his wife the night before. Yeah, it would be an awkward dinner. And he made her drink a nagging of holy water in front of everybody who was in the house, which she did this evening, like after everything's as well. Her female relatives help her to get dressed for the first time in like a week. So she's in all of her fancy clothes and sitting by the fire ready to receive guests. More visitors arrive. Bridget taunts Michael in front of everybody by saying that his mother spent time with the fairies. He's not from the locality. He's a bit of an outsider. So he already finds it difficult to fit in. And now his wife who ran away with the fairies is talking about how his mother ran away with the fairies. So it's just all very embarrassing. When it comes time to eat, and this is another direct quote, Bridget Cleary sat down by Michael Cleary's side and he wanted her to eat three bits of bread and jam before she would take the tea. She ate two bits and she wouldn't eat the third bit. Down she go. He knocked her down as she would not eat it. He put his hand on her mouth. Then he got a red stump and he told her he would put it in her mouth if she didn't eat the bit. And now he's back to Bridget's a changeling again. He tore off all of her clothes except for her chemise. 
there's chaos in the kitchen. He's shouting that she's not his wife. She's an old deceiver. You'll soon see her go up the chimney. And in all of this kerfuffle, Bridget's chemise catches fire and she goes up in flames. And apparently it's in the blink of an eye, Bridget's dead. But apparently after this, Michael gets the paraffin oil for the lamp off the table and douses it on her to make sure that what's not burned of her continues to burn. Everybody's kind of going like, what the hell is after going on here? Michael's like, no, it's not my wife. It was a changeling. And he leaves the house and locks the door from the outside and everybody else is left inside with Bridget. Oh, God. Yeah. And he went and a distance off from the house, he dug a hole. He had one of his relatives help him carry the body there, buried it, came back, told everybody essentially like that wasn't my wife. That was a changeling. Don't tell anybody. Don't talk about this with anybody. He threatens to stab them if they say anything. He makes them all swear that they won't. And then they all leave. So people notice that Bridget is gone, obviously enough. And everybody in the house claims that she just stood up and left and said she was away with the fairies. I'm going to read a report from the Nationalist newspaper on the disappearance of Bridget because I feel like this is the best way to kind of describe how everybody viewed this case. What would read as akin to the fairy romances of ancient times in Erin is now the topic of all lips in the neighbourhood of Drangan and Clonine. It appears that a young woman named Cleary, wife of a cooper, living with her father and husband in a labourer's cottage in the townland of Ballyvidea, took ill a few days ago, was attended by a priest and doctor, and believed to have been suffering from some form of nervous malady. She suddenly disappeared on last Friday night, and has not since been heard of. Her friends who were present assert that she had been taken away on a white horse before their eyes, and that she told them when leaving that on a Sunday night they would meet her at a fort on Kylnagrana Hill, where they could, if they had the courage, rescue her. Accordingly, they assembled at the appointed time and place to fight the fairies, but needless to say, no white horse appeared. It has transpired that her friends discarded the doctor's medicine and treated her to some fairy quackery. However, the woman is missing, and the rational belief is that in the law courts, the mystery shall be elucidated. Okay, well, first of all, it's not a great cover story, is it? I mean, if you're going to come up with one. But it seems like there's a lot of mistrust already about the story. Oh, for sure. But also, it's not being reported as if it's an actual like murder case is what I find really interesting. It's being reported as a curiosity. But do they know that she's dead? Like, it sounds like they just think she's disappeared. They do just think she's disappeared. Now, there's a bit that I didn't read at the end, which is basically the reporter inferring that I'm not going to say anything yet. But obviously, it's dodgy feelings. Yeah. Michael Cleary's still saying that it's changing. He's going up and waiting at the fairy fort, telling everybody that Bridget's away with the fairies, but it's fine. He's going to get her back. He goes to the priest. The priest thinks he's kind of erratic. So the priest actually goes to the RIC, Royal Irish Constabulary, saying like something weird seems to be here. Maybe keep an eye on Michael. And they're all kind of going like, hmm, something's not right here. So there's like this huge manhunt bringing in like, I want to say guards, not guards, bringing in police from everywhere to search for the body. The body's found in the shallow grave a week later 
on exactly a week later on Friday the 22nd of March and everybody pretty much straight up like says what happened they all nine people who were there on the Thursday got arrested and so did Joanna Burke she turns witness so gets off and everybody else is charged with murder so as I said the case catches the public imagination she's considered to be the last witch branch in Europe and this goes on for a number of months and they eventually go to trial and when they go to trial Mairead Michael Cleary's puts in a plea bargain for manslaughter and it gets accepted and everybody else gets off on much lighter terms Michael Cleary got the longest sentence he was imprisoned 20 years penal servitude because the judge did not seem to agree that this is manslaughter like he at the beginning of the case pretty much turned around to the jury and was like you know you have the option of saying this was manslaughter but essentially don't mm-hmm. so he gives a really harsh sentence even though like if it had been murder and um, Michael Cleary would have been sentenced to death but the judge actually is an interesting man because he gave like quite light cases in some instances. So for Mary Kennedy, the auntie, after the trial, she doesn't have any prison time because he says that she's too old and infirm and that it would not be fair essentially to put her in prison, even though he's like 10 years older than her, but she's poor. So she seems much older, but there's a lot of that. So everybody else's sentences are actually pretty short. Michael gets out after 15 years goes to Liverpool and then apparently moved on to Canada from Liverpool and that is the story surrounding the death of Bridget Boland slash Cleary the wife of Michael Cleary wow I mean it's a it's a sad one it's a gruesome one as well yeah it was just as I said I just I heard about it a few months ago and it's just been kind of like rattling around in my head since. Yeah, it sticks with you. Like when you were telling it as well, and even the fact of all of the relatives in the house, I really just got a sense of like, I know the the community or something or the kind of how these kind of rumours or beliefs can kind of catch on. So what is your take on him then? Is he guilty? Like, what do you think? Do you think he believed she was a fairy? I am incredibly conflicted. I think it's possible that he thought that she was a fairy. I also find it interesting that everybody else thought she was cured the day before he did. I definitely, like, in my bones, I feel like he's a violent man and not a pleasant man. But I also, I feel like it's both. Yeah. That's kind of where I would lean as well, that he maybe he wanted to believe it. The marriage obviously wasn't great. And also, like if we're going by the circumstances of the death, which you are describing, it sounds like a bit of a everything kind of just went to shit in those few moments. And it was kind of like it, if we're to take that, it was kind of an accident. Right. Even though he was saying he was going to put her up the chimney and all that. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It seems like it's like. <laughs> In some ways, it seems premeditated. In some ways, it seems like it happened in the spur of the moment. In some ways, it feels like he genuinely believed she was a a changeling. In other ways, it seems like it was just a convenient way to deal with everything else that was going on. He was convincing himself of it. 
I definitely think that your man Jack Dunn like I, I'm not sure he would have done it without Jack Dunn kind of whispering in his ear mm, yeah he needs other people to back it up I suppose yeah I would kind of lean that I think he wanted to believe it that he latched onto the idea kind of early on and when you have that in your head anything they do confirms it and anything that they do that doesn't confirm it you just kind of ignore you know what I mean you're like I don't know no, no, you know but like that time she refused it or whatever but it's it's tragic for her because she was obviously just very unwell with whatever it was whether it was a you know a mental illness or I, I did see it described as just like pneumonia somewhere as well which is just a horrible thing for like a healthy young woman to have an illness that could be cured and to come to such a horrible end now pneumonia was a lot more serious back in the day as well oh but like what was what was wrong with her that week like that was physical that wasn't mental that was she had a cold or a chest infection or something like that like she was definitely physically unwell at that stage so yeah you're absolutely right the other stuff the longer lasting stuff that's where I was wondering could that have been like mental you might have already said this but the people that were in the house that weird weird day did they believe him as well? Were they along for this kind of fairy story? I would say, I don't think Mary Kennedy was. I think that it's pretty explicit that she was not, that she didn't believe it. I think that a lot of the others, I think it was a combination of, yeah, believing and kind of being strong-armed a little bit. Yeah. And, su- and supporting, I guess, like if he's on trial and they have loyalty to him, they might just back him up. But they didn't have loyalty to him. They weren't his family. They were her family. God, that's just horrible. Ugh. But as I was saying, a lot of them weren't educated. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were labourers who couldn't read and write. Angela Burke makes a big point about uh, Dunn in particular, that like he was older, he was kind of infirm. I think he had a limp that like this was his way of being in the community was that he was considered to have knowledge of the fairy folk and the oral tradition and that he was really struggling now that it was becoming more of the written tradition he had to stay relevant you know he had to he had to keep it fresh pretty much part of me was wondering when I was reading the story as well now this is just pure conjecture she got sick going to meet him did she see something she shouldn't have seen? And he was, oh, she's a fairy. So if she says anything, then not to believe her. Like, as I said, there's literally not one iota of evidence pointing to this. But like, that's where your mind kind of goes as well, I think. That's interesting. I suppose if you think about like, yeah, he might have had some stake in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would you like people to kind of take away from us? That violence towards women is never okay. And that just because it happens in an unusual way doesn't mean that it should be relegated to curiosities. Yeah. Or folklore. I don't know, in my head anyway, stuff that takes place before a more modern period, it can seem unreal in a way and it comes kind of mythologized and it's it's easy to forget that like she was a real woman and she died in 1895. So that's just over 100 years ago. It's not that many generations back, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, so that is the story of Bridget Cleary. This is a slightly longer episode than normal. I apologize, but I read so much for this. I needed to get at least some of it into the podcast if you're still listening thank you um i will be back in two weeks time with Mairead again we're going to discuss the writer Mae brennan it's a much breezier breezier story 
like still not it's still kind of dark because like women in history but like a little bit breezier um so yeah thank you for listening please like and share and subscribe and rate us on wherever you listen so that other people can find us and yeah see you again soon goodbye and here